And in verse 12, our story begins. And we're told that he was in one of the cities and behold, there was a man covered with leprosy. This term covered in leprosy. We don't know leprosy like we that they had back then. Today, there's still what's called leprosy, but it's not of the same scale. Luke is a physician. And so to be covered in leprosy at this point, he was saying that this man was terminal with this illness. As leprosy developed, as it grew in a person, their nerve endings on their flesh would deaden. And so they would bump into things and they would no longer sense pain. And so towards the end of their illness, when they were nearing death, Basically, they would get open wounds that would ooze pus and blood, highly contagious. When somebody was diagnosed with leprosy, they were put to the outskirts of town. They were not allowed to interact with people. When they were walking around, they had to walk unclean, 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 unclean. So everybody around them would knew that they had to keep away. By the law, nobody was allowed to touch him. No human touch. They were quarantined. So this is that man in these stages, nasty, oozing with wounds, moving, unclean, unclean, unclean. Stay away. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him, saying... So here this man, from this text, we don't know for sure what happened... But he seemed to violate some laws. He said, I've, I've heard about Jesus. He's healing people. I've got to get to him. So he's moving. He's getting there, doing whatever he can, even if he's got to go into normal people. He gets to Jesus. And we see that he falls on his face. He fell on his face and he implored him. He begged him. He says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He says, I know that you're totally capable to make me clean. This is humility. Here's Jesus. He's on his face before him. And he says, I know that you're able to make me clean. The only thing that separates my being clean is your willingness to do it. I'm a humble man. I'm, a, I'm an outcast in society. Nobody can touch me. I don't deserve to be clean. I, I know that you're able to make me clean. And in one word in the Hebrew, before he says this, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Jesus touching this man broke the law. He had leprosy. And there's power in the human touch. And I know that in our culture that touch has been so violated and there's so many, you've got to guard yourself in how you touch who and when you touch. But for me, we go to Gabriel House. We've been trying all year. Every time we plan a trip to go to Gabriel House, I have Christmas gifts in my office that are like my conscience. It's like, oh, man, we're like coming up on Easter and we got to get these down. We've planned it twice. And then rain comes down to where you can't get into Mexico. Gabriel House is a ministry I do not like going to in my flesh. If I'm just going to, you know, be honest with y'all, it's uncomfortable. Totally severely, permanently handicapped kids from AIDS babies to like just, just it's, it's not pleasant, not fun to watch them eat, not fun to be near them. In my flesh, I'm talking. For years going down there, I'm like, well, my ministry is just to drive people. I have a, I have a, a big old Chevy Suburban, so I'm going to haul people in. When I get down there, I'm going to take a nap in the car. 
because my ministry is driving people. But in my heart, the deal was I didn't want to look at him. I didn't want to touch him. I didn't want to. And God broke me of that. So now when I go to Gabriel house, I touch him. They don't speak English, but I talk to them. I love you. How are you doing? We love you. And they're people that just have like this heart of compassion that can just go and touch people. Last Saturday, I had to do a funeral for a very dear friend of mine. I hadn't cried through the whole like lead up to the thing. And then I'm running in. I'm supposed to conduct the memorial service. As soon as I see the crowd of people, I start just bawling like a baby uncontrollably. I can't get a hold of myself. I see a pastor friend of mine that's there. And I go straight to him. He's like, how are you doing, Gunnar? I'm like, not good, dude. I'm supposed to leave this thing. And look at me. I can't. And I, well, I don't even think I said that much. I think all I got out was like, can you pray for me? <laughs> like, I, I can't do this. You know, snots running down my face. I'm like, I forgot the paper towel. And I had a, a hanky. And I'm like, I feel a little weird using a hanky. I'm like, I don't. But it's like a rose-colored hanky. And it's like got flowers. I'm like, I need whatever I can. <laughs> then the guy grabs me. He hugs me. And he holds me. And his wife put her hand on my back. And they began praying. And the touch that he gave me was, there are not words to describe a touch. And I what did this man feel as the Lord places his hand on him? Not being touched for who knows how long. Jesus touched him. And then he said a Greek word that I can't even say. And then there's an English variant of it that I can't even say. But it's a, it's a spiritual cleansing in the English. Karith, karith, something or other. I can, I, I'm, I'm handicapped in English and in Greek and like in Mongolian and Spanish and all of my different languages. Charismatai or something, but it's and it's in English too. If you guys know it, feel free to shout it out at me and help me out, help a brother out here. But it says, "Be cleansed." He puts his hand in Greek. It's one word, or in Aramaic, when he said it, it would have been one word. Clean, clean, and immediately. So every healing that we see of Jesus stands in stark contrast to what we see on TV today. You see the motives different. Be clean. I, I don't like did like I don't I can't even imagine the wounds are there suddenly they're gone. Be clean, totally, completely, thoroughly healed, and immediately the leprosy left him, and he ordered him to tell no one. He said, "Keep your mouth shut. This isn't the time." But in order to obey the law. He says, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded as a testimony for them. So it's in the law. If you guys are like want to do some really good studying this week, go to Leviticus 14. You're going to learn all about what the law said to do if you had leprosy. Because I'm doing the panoramic view, I can't go there. But you're going to see stuff eight days with the priest. Bathing, slaughtering of animals, sacrifices, shaving all of the hair off of your body. This dude gets up and he, I mean, he's he go to the marketplace. Where's the priest at? Where's, where's he at? I got to get a hold of him. Hey, dude, I'm clean. Check me out. And so then the priest has to spend eight days with him doing all of these ceremonies. And Jesus knew over the course of those eight days, by the end of it is the priest is saying, you're clean, you're clean, you're clean. What's he going to ask? What happened? You were on the verge of death. Like we've never seen this sort of healing. What happened? Jesus 
said one word. He touched me and said one word. Healed. Oh, the priest, this isn't. You can't be. <laughs> Don't tell me this. Then we're going to move on to our second guy. Oh, wait, no, we're not going to go there. I got ahead of myself. Verse 15, but the news about him was spreading farther and large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. He said, don't tell anybody, but this guy, maybe he had a family. Of course he had a family. You don't just get enter earth without a mom and dad. So there's family there. They'd seen him with leprosy his whole life. So maybe he didn't tell anybody, but they knew. So word is spray. This guy, this, this Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth is doing amazing things. We think he's the Messiah. And so people are flocking to him, flocking to him, flocking to him. And Jesus is withdrawing. We're told that be, Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray to the desert. He would get away, spend time with the Father. Lord, help me focus. Help me stay on track. Remember, we looked at the temptation. One of the temptations was that Jesus could circumvent the cross. But Jesus knew he had to go to the cross. And so he needed to stay focused on the Lord. Lord, help me to stay on this track. And then we're introduced to the second guy, verse 17. So here we have one day he was teaching. And there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there. I have this, this sitting there kind of brings this mental image. These guys were not, these guys were here to condemn Jesus. We're going to see the story. Pharisees is one of the groups of people throughout this passage that we're going to see. They're sitting there. I can just see them sitting there, rolling their eyes in this groove, going, "What is he? who does he think he is saying this stuff? You've got to do our religion our way. You've got to do all of this stuff. Who does he think he is speaking, gain, gain these crowds? They'd come from teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee, Judea, and from so they're from all over, from Jerusalem, from all of the cities in Israel. All of these Pharisees had flocked to see Jesus, and they're sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him, that's Jesus, to perform healing. And some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were trying to bring him in and to set him down in front of him. So here is some men. We don't know how many men. It's a few men. They have a friend who's paralyzed. They have a bed. This guy can't do anything for himself. Who knows where they lugged him from? They bring him to Jesus. They get to where Jesus is. There's a line out front of the door. Oh, great. We just humped so-and-so all the way in here. Now what? This is in practical terms. I don't know. How many of you guys like In-N-Out in here? I love In-N-Out Burger. It's like one of my favorite hamburgers in the, in the world. There's so many times when I'll pull up to In-N-Out and the, the drive through line is like all the way out the parking lot, all the way up to Oregon. There are people piling out. Not a table is available. And it's like, oh man, all I want is an In-N-Out burger. And I'll look at Anna and I'm like, let's just go to McDonald's. It's kind of the same. No, it's not. But I like, I'm like, I, I quit because it's like, I don't have to, I can't wait in this line. And this is what these guys are facing. They walk up. They want to see Jesus. They've carried him all the way. Somebody in the crowd says, wait a minute. Every building has like a rooftop entrance. We'll go up there and then we'll go down. We'll walk down. We'll find the back way. We'll enter on the stage or whatever it is and we'll find Jesus. And so verse 19, but not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. And I just want you guys to imagine like on the roof, there was no access point. 
Maybe, it doesn't really say, but I'm imagining, because he knew that they'd have baths and stuff on the roof. They would enjoy, it's like a patio. Certainly there's a way in. They get up there, well, what are we going to do? I need to see one of the guys like, why don't we cut a hole in the roof? If we cut a hole in the roof, it says lift up a tile, but it's like, we're going to go in. I don't have any rope, but man, we can tie my our robes together and we can... If we drop him, he's already paralyzed, you know? Like, are we going to do, like, like uh, we, we got to get him down there. I don't know how we're going to do it. So they get him. Uh, and so here's Jesus with this crowd of these guys looking at him, criticizing him. And it's like if somebody started cutting into the road, I mean, did drywall start dropping down in front of him? Like, what's going on? I mean, Jesus knew what was going on. All of a sudden, they see the stretcher just lay before him. It doesn't say that the guys like took the fireman's ladder down. So I imagine like there's a hole in the roof. There's three or four guys looking in. Yeah, we got him. We landed him right in front of Jesus. And Jesus doesn't even skip a beat. In verse 20, it says, seeing their faith, the collective faith, the guy in the stretcher, the men that are lowering him down, seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. I don't know if you're a critic like me, but it's like, wait a minute. His, his problems aren't his sins at this point. His problems are that he's paralyzed. And Jesus says, hey, but your sins are forgiven you. I see your faith. And Jesus is setting up. This is like, we're going to have a big grand finale in front of all these critics. We're not, it's not even a grand finale at this point. We're going we're gonna to get to the heart of the issue of these Pharisees that are sitting there criticizing my teaching. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? See, they understood. Don't let people tell you that Jesus never claimed to be God. Jesus over and over and over and over again claimed to be the Messiah. See, they understood that blasphemy was acknowledging that you were something that you're not, namely God. Say, Who is this man that's blaspheming? This is why he went to the cross. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus looks at them, in verse 22, and he says, But Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, Which, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins have been forgiven you, or to say, get up and walk? Who, who, oh, let's just put it before the test. Which is easier to say? To say your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? It's easier to say your sins are forgiven, Right? Because I can say, hey, guys, all your sins are forgiven, but how do you really know? Very easy to say that. I got a paralyzed guy here, and I say, get up and walk. I'm just, I really laid myself out on the line. I mean, all my cards are out there. It's either he, I mean, th this is like me when I first became a Christian. Say, if I got it from, all my tattoos, be gone. Oh, rats, they're still there. Like, I struggled with that one because I'm not Jesus. So we asked them this question. And of course they're saying it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. You're blasphemy. We're going to kill you for this, which they did. And they should have if he wasn't truly God. And he says in verse 24, but so that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he says, what I'm about to do is to show you that I'm God. That, that the Son of Man, Jesus, has authority on earth. He doesn't say, in contrast, 
to the guys you see on TV. It's not to take an offering. It's not to give himself faith. He's showing that he's God, and that's the only reason for the healing. He's not doing it for the sake of healing them. He's doing what he's about to do. He's doing it to authenticate who he is as Messiah. He says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. That you know that Jesus and the power of his word to say your sins are forgiven. Today, the same faith rests on us. Well, how do you know you're okay? Well, the Bible says that Jesus went to the cross to forgive sins. And I want you to, this a little side note here. Some of you have Bibles that have red print that are Jesus's words. I want to be clear that the black words are Jesus's words just as well. This is all God's word. The, the red words aren't more important than the black words. It's all his word. And he says, I'm going to do this so that you know I have authority. We know that our forgiveness of sins is based on faith of what the word says about what Jesus did on the cross. Same faith here. Luke is a physician. And he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your stretcher and go home. This is a packed house. Dude just drops through the ceiling. He says, man, I've seen your faith. Your sins are forgiven you. They all start murmuring. Who is he to say that his sins can be forgiven? Only God can do that. Who does he think he is? Jesus says, hey, I can hear all you guys murmuring out there. What's easier for me to say, your sins are forgiven or to get up and walk? They're like, certainly to get up and walk. Okay, then, so that you guys know that I'm God and that I have authority on earth. Hey, you, uh, I'm sorry, I didn't even meet you yet. What's your name? You know, like, Joe, go ahead and stand up, take up your mat and walk home. Everything's on the line. I mean, he's on the hook. And as soon as I find my place, okay, verse 25. Immediately, we see this again. There's no like, immediately the dude just jumps up. He got up before them, picked up what he'd been lying on, and he went home glorifying God. The mat brought this man in, and now the man is taking the mat home. He gets up, starts praising God. He's like, I'm out of here. I got my legs. I don't know if he never had his legs or like he became that way. But can you imagine if you were paralyzed in a hospital bed for 10 years, a year? Let's just say six months. And suddenly you can walk. Do you think you're going to say, hey, I'm going to sit down here and just chill out? Or are you going to go like run, you know, the sound of music, the hills are alive and go take off, you know? You're going to be dancing cartwheels, thanking God. And I, so I was not going to finish singing, guys. I wasn't going to do that to you. But he's, he's like, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to keep praising you out there because you can hear me. And I'm going to run. My legs work. He goes home. His family sees him. And then, verse 26, their reaction. They were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God. And they were filled with fear. If you do a careful study of the scriptures, like just doing a word study on fear, anytime somebody realizes God's hand in the midst of something, it's a very healthy and normal reaction to have fear. This is the creator and sustainer of the universe. The Bible tells us that God spoke and the earth was created. Boom. He spoke and the man's leprosy was gone. He spoke and this guy's healed. Last week he spoke and Peter had the greatest fish of 
the greatest catch he's ever had in his whole entire life. They're astonished. And what they say is probably the understatement of human history. We have seen remarkable things today. Yeah, kind of. They saw Jesus speaking, people's lives being transformed. They recognized what happened. People placed their trust in Jesus. This is like nothing that anybody in human history had seen that these people that we read about. (laughs) We think we've seen remarkable things today. Yeah, I think so. Then verse 27, we're going to meet our third guy. So we've met the outcast with leprosy. We've met the helpless man that's paralyzed. And now we're going to read the rich guy. It's appropriate. It's April 10th. I don't need to explain to you how people feel about the tax man. People don't like him today. People don't like him then. People didn't like them then worse because their salary was based on basically a commission. And so if they could extort you for more money, they would. And so they were very, very wealthy. And so verse 27, we meet our third man. And after he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi, this is Matthew, the gospel of Matthew. He wrote that gospel. Sitting in his tax booth, he said to him, follow me. Jesus walks by. He looks at Matthew. Very few words. Follow me. And he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. Guys, this is this follow me. This is the Christian life. Last week, the thing I left you from now on, you know, that was a little that was a little phrase from last week's text. Don't worry about your don't worry about you guys from that from last Sunday to this Sunday. You guys could have dropped the ball and really struggled this week from now on. Follow Jesus. Follow me. This is the Christian life. Follow me. I really. This is the one thing I care about for everybody in this room. I don't really care that you come to Valley Baptist Church. I want you to go somewhere where you can learn to follow Jesus. If you're in Mongolia, I care about them following Jesus. So much so that I'll fly out there to make sure that they're doing okay following Jesus. Like, this is the thing that we have. I don't care what system of theology you're following. Don't follow your system of theology. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. When you, you know, to bring a little Fernando Ortega, when I wake up, see, this is where my song... I don't have any singing skills, so I, why do I even quote songs when I don't write them down? When I rise, just give me Jesus. When I sleep, just give me Jesus. When I, you know, fill in the blank. When I, when I go to the bathroom, give me Jesus. When I eat, give me Jesus. When I go to work, give me Jesus. When I, what are things that we do? When you leave this place, just give me Jesus. Just follow me. He gives up everything and he follows him. And he has the resources here. He's on the upper level of society. He, at a turn of a hat, can throw a huge party, invite all of his friends to this party, and he's going to invite Jesus to this party so that his friends can meet Jesus. Verse 29, and Jesus gave a big reception. If I was doing the translation, I would have put party. It's a huge party for Jesus in his house. So he's got this big enough house that he can have all of these people over. He is well to do. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors. This is 
Nobody else wanted to come. It's just tax collectors because who wants to hang out with tax collectors? And other people who were reclining at the table, so there were other people there, I misspoke, but there's people that, I mean, it's a huge bash. The Pharisees and the scribes began grumbling at his disciples. So those people that were following Jesus, they start murmuring against Jesus. Who does he think he is? Why, why do you eat and drink with the tax collector, the tax collectors and sinners? Why are you hanging out with sinners? Down in um, verse 33, then he's going to go to John again. Uh, he's saying, the disciples of John often fast and offer prayers. And the disciples of the Pharisees often do the same. But yours eat and drink. You guys are like having a good time, partying, enjoying life. That's not very religious. And I love one of my favorite quotes of Charles Swindoll is, why do Christians look like they went around and got baptized in lemon juice? Like the creator and the sustainer of the world came to live a perfect life. He redeemed us if you've trusted in Christ. Offered you new life. He's made you a new creation. There's plenty to be happy about. It's okay to like smile and enjoy life and to to love one another and to have a big barbecue with carne asada and you guys have fun, smile, have a great time, laugh, joke. It's good. And they're criticizing him. In a couple chapters, if you'll turn with turn your pages a couple to the um, to the to the uh, to the right to Luke chapter seven verse thirty three. This persecution. Of the Pharisees towards Jesus and John the Baptist continues to grow to where in verse 33 of chapter 7, Jesus finally says this. He says, for John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. And you say he has a demon. John the Baptist, he was like your crazy cousin. He didn't, he didn't drink. He had dreadlocks. He's eating honey and crickets. He was out in the wilderness. He was kind of a weird guy wearing camel cloth. He came into town and he just started calling out people's sins, even Herod's. He didn't drink. He was a little weird. And they say he's got a demon. Now, Jesus is on the other end of the spectrum, throwing parties with tax collectors and sinners. Party, the the wine runs out at the wedding, his first miracle. He turns water into wine. And he says, the son of man, verse 34, has come eating and drinking. And you say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So it's like no matter what happens, they're criticizing and missing his message because they don't like the heart of his message. And back in chapter 5, when they ask his disciples this question, it's almost like Jesus comes in and says, let me field this question. Why do we eat and drink and hang out with tax collectors and sinners? In verse 31, Jesus answered and said to them, it is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. Luke's a doctor. How many of you, when you're in perfect health, go down to your doctor's office and just sit in the lobby to tell everybody how well you are? Go to ER. Oh, dude, you're bleeding out, but look at me. I'm good to go. Oh, I see you lost your leg. I'm, but look at me. I'm good. You don't go to the doctor. Now, what's your ailment? What's wrong? No, I feel great. I just wanted to spend an hour with you to tell you how good my health is. You go to the doctor because it's like something is wrong and you need help. And Jesus tells, he says, listen, you don't, well, as soon as I find my place here, I'll be able to tell you what he said. He, uh, verse um, 30, 31. Okay, Jesus answered, it is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. 
I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, don't miss this. Don't walk in here today and say, I'm a good person. I'm righteous. I don't need Jesus. What Jesus is ultimately saying is, all have fallen short of the glory of God. All, you are born into sin. You need Jesus. And the biggest problem with churches in, our, our, in the world today is that they're made up of people. Like, if we could just get rid of people, churches would be healthy. Like, it would be great. Like, there'd be no problems. But how many of you have perfect families? No, we all have the weird uncle. We all have the weird cousin. We have this, uh, they kind of are a little bit strange. But we love them. They're part of the family. Church is the same way. Churches have problems because we're people that have problems, including myself. And we all need Jesus. We're just like a family with the weird uncle and the weird cousin and the so-and-so that kind of freaks you out every now and again. We love each other. We're here because we need help. And he's not saying that there's truly righteous people. Isaiah tells us that, that, that our, our righteousness is but filthy rags before the Lord. We all are in need of a Savior. They didn't like his answer, and so they have another question. Verse 33, and they say to him, the disciples of John often fast and offer prayers, and the, dis- and the disciples of the Pharisees also do the same, but yours eat and drink. They fast, they don't eat, they, they offer prayers. And, if, and in the Pharisees, and if, if, if we're supposed to pray once, we're going to do it four times. They live by a saying that I live by. Anything worth doing is worth overdoing. Like, go for it. He's like, but yours... Yours don't fast. Yours don't pray. What's going on here? And Jesus answered and said to them. Oh, I'm, I'm wrong verse. Verse 33. And Jesus said to them, You cannot make the attendance of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with him, can you? Jesus is here. The Messiah is here. Why would they be fasting? I'm with them. I'm in their presence. It's not time for them to, to fast. And when the bridegroom is taken away, then they will fast in those days. The day is coming. Jesus, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to go according to Scripture. I'm going to be killed for your sins. I'm going to be buried for three days. I'm going to rise on the third day. I'm going to walk the earth for 40 days. I'm going to ascend into heaven. And then they're going to wait for me to come back. And then they're going to start taking communion to remember that this happened, to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Then, now, now we fast. This is a whole study I could do. I could probably do a whole month on fasting, but because we're doing the panoramic view, we're going to kind of move on. He says they will fast in those days, but now they have me. And verse 36, Jesus is going to kind of bring this to a conclusion. He was also telling them a parable. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, the, otherwise he will both tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. I love Levi's. If my conscience would allow it, I would be preaching in Levi's. You guys don't care. I care. And it's not because the church says don't wear Levi's. I'm confident I could probably even preach in shorts and a t-shirt. But my conscience won't allow me to do that. I wear my Levi's for years until they start disintegrating. And then I have to force myself to buy another pair because I'm kind of cheap. 
But like, you know, normally the knee will blow out or like where the pocket in the rear will like blow out when you squat down, it'll like tear it apart. After like, you know, about two, about a year I can get before this starts happening. And what Jesus is saying, it'd be like, okay, Gunner, you have your old torn up jeans. You finally break down to where you order some new Levi's. You get your new Levi's before you even wash them to break them in. What you're going to do is you're going to cut a square and you're going to use that from the new pair of Levi's to patch your old pair of Levi's. Who here would do that? I know I wouldn't do that. And it's exactly what he says. He says, um, as soon as I find my place again here, um, down here, it says um, he will both tear the new, meaning you're going to destroy your brand new pair of jeans And the piece from the new, it's not going to be the same color. It's not going to match the old. Nobody would do that. And then he goes on to say, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. See, the wine was stored in in skins of animals that they would sew really tight. When they put the new wine in there, the wine would begin to ferment and to expand. And the new skin would allow it to expand. If you took new wine and put it into old wineskins, what happens is, the expansion of that skin had already been exceeded. There's no more elasticity, that word, you know, elasticity, 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 big word. It had no more of that stuff left in it. And so it would blow up. So he says that no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, a new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled out and the skin and the skins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And then the verse 39 is kind of the crux here. And no one, after drinking old wine, wishes for new. For he says the old is good enough. Read that a couple times. Wait. And no one, after drinking old wine, wishes for new. For he says the old is good enough. I read that and I start thinking, well, is the old wine the better wine? No, the new wine's the better wine. It means that they're content with the old stuff. From verse 36 to 39... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I have the word new or fresh nine times. New, 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 new. And I heard it. I was telling Anna and, and Heidi last night. You know, it's funny. One of my flashbacks from Mongolia. See, while we were there, we were like already party. Show us Mongolia. Take us all this stuff. And Josh would be like, I got to study. I got to study language. I've got to get to know the culture. And he's like, we're, I'm like, but can't you play with us? Like, we'll go to class with you. And we, Richard and I are in the lobby, like, you know, while he's back working. And, and so then, so the payback time, it always comes back. So last night, I'm like, I'm like I just want to play with you guys. But I have my Bible at the kitchen counter, like, on. well, can I play? And I said, you can go to the back room. It's quiet. I don't want to go to the back room. I need to study for today. And I know I have a point here. <laughs> <laughs> But, oh, I know what it was. So talking about this, and I look at Heidi and Anna and I say, oh, I got a great line for tomorrow. I stole it from somebody else. It's not unique with me. Jesus isn't into quilting, kind of like trying to poke him because I know Anna likes quilting. Do you like quilting? I don't know if you even like quilting. A little, uh, not very good. But Anna's like a big quilter. I'm like, Jesus isn't into quilting. She's like, what are you talking about, Gunner? What do you know about quilting? See, quilting is you take, like, I think it originated when you took all your old stuff and you would cut patches and then you would you'd sew them all together. Jesus is about new life, transforming life. You're new creatures in Christ. See, patchwork, putting old wine into new wineskins is when 
what I did for years. You, you like suddenly you realize you come to a point in your life when you realize that you're a sinner. That like for me, that my life was a total mess. Or on the other end of the spectrum, I don't want to leave the other people out. Like you are raised in religion and you think that you're so perfect, but inside you know that you're not. And you know that you're not good with God and you can't do it anymore. And you say, well, I'll try out Jesus. And then you add one rabbit foot to your like collection of good luck charms. Or you, you just kind of bring him into a part of your life as patchwork. And Jesus is saying, I want to invade all of your life. You know the saying, this last verse, verse 39, modern understanding our little sayings. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. Say, well, I've been living like this for 30 years. He says, no, I have something so much better for you. And, and that being a dad has helped me to understand the Bible in a lot of ways. I can't tell you how many times we go places and Grace is like, I don't want to try anything new. I don't want to try it new. And then we're like, you've got to do this. It's part of growing. It's, and then she does it and she's like, I love it. <laughs> like, why didn't I do this? And it's like, because you were afraid. And Jesus is saying, I came to transform lives totally and completely. And last week I said, I guarantee that Jesus didn't come just to give you something to do on Sundays. He came to invade every aspect of your life, to transform your life. New life. And I have a hard time. See, I struggled with drinking for years. And it, it, I would never say it to somebody's face, but you're like a big crowd, so I'm not, I'm not you know... But I hear Christians say, I'm a Christian, I'm new, but I'm still an alcoholic. I haven't drank in 20 years, but I'm still an alcoholic. The Bible says that you're a new creation. You're redeemed, you're transformed. You're a new creature. From now on, put that behind you. Follow Jesus like you are. You don't have a scarlet letter on yourself from your past. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe, my favorite hymn in the whole world. Because it summarizes the Christian. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. And they say, I came here to have, give you new life. And as we close, the thing I want to encourage you most with is to realize that the power of God exists today. That in Ephesians chapter 1, the end of it, when Paul prays for them, the thing he wants them to understand in, in their heart is that the power that rose Jesus from the grave is in you. In Christ. And then he's doing a work. But you got to let go. You got to let him have your life. It's not just like one little aspect. Because if you're trying to patch him into your life, it's not going to work. It's just going to get more frustrating for you. And so follow Jesus. And we're going to stand. We're going to pray. The worship team's going to come up. And we're going to sing how great is our God. Because God is awesome. So stand and please, let's pray. And we'll... Father, we do thank you and praise you, Lord, for this, these stories of these three men whose lives were transformed. The outcast, the paralyzed, the rich man. Lord, all aspects of society and in this room, we, re- we reflect, Lord, our, our culture, our society around us. And Lord, I, I've come to understand, Lord, that you came for all people. And Father, for those of us in this room whose lives have been transformed by the power of Christ, we thank you, Lord. We give you all the glory. And Lord, I understand that a group this size, there are people who are still journeying along. They're not sure. 
Maybe they're questioning like the Pharisees were. And Lord, we just pray for them, Lord. We pray, Lord, that whatever questions they have, whatever reservations they have about trusting you, Lord, we pray that the Spirit would guide them, Lord, that you would help them to resolve these questions in their mind. And Lord, all of us, Lord, Lord, help us to go all in, that we would give it all to you, that we would surrender all that we have, that we would follow you with all of our lives. And Father, as we've seen this last song, may it be a prayer from our hearts to you, for you are great, you are mighty, you are awesome. Father, we thank you that you love us so much that you entered into human history. Father, that you revealed yourself to us, Lord. Lord, I thank you for my transformed life, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.